my real name. Um, I'm, I go by Mac, but Cormick is my um, first, you know, my, my actual full name. And then Battle was the name of my family before we moved to America. And uh, it's from my mom's side of the family. It goes back to Ireland. So you uh, full-blood Irish? Yeah, basically. I'm, like, as close to being full-blood Irish as you can possibly be for somebody that's, like, born in America. So how many shots can you take without dying? Brother, ask Cody Devine. Like, no one's ever seen me drunk. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. No, I uh, got a little tipsy at the show the other night, but it was it was a lot of fun. I was I don't know if you saw that uh, post I did, but that was the energy backstage and how mm-hmm. everyone behaved themselves. That was something else. Yeah, man, it's just a, it's a it's a blast to have a locker room like that. Just a bunch of guys that are like. They're just there to have fun and have a good time and get put on a good show, and it's a good vibe, man. That's what it's all about. Yeah, even the uh, I mean, the, the Albuquerque guys were welcome. Like they were one of you, one of you guys. Like no problem. There was no shit talking. There was it was just uh, it was just Absolutely. good people putting on a show and not worrying about whether or not they got their shit in because of what mattered was the show, and that that was the vibe I Absolutely. got. That's what it's about. Uh, anything in particular that stood out to you from that show, other than uh, obviously uh, the the ending? Yeah, the ending. The uh, honestly, um, I think it's really cool because we had never run in that venue before, or at least I don't know. I don't think we ever run that venue before. I certainly haven't. I don't think anyone else on the show has either. And it was cool because um, that place like legitimately sold out, and uh, that's awesome, man. Just walk into a new spot where nobody knows you. And like, obviously there's gonna be some crossover fans, but like there were, uh, there were no, um, there was no weirdness. Like the venue treated us great. I like to think we, I think we treated the venue great. Um, we basically just went in there and had fun and, and had a show where it was all new fans, a lot of kids, which is always a blast. And it was just a really, really good time. So I think that's the the best part of it for me is going to a brand new venue where there's no sort of background at all and there's no um, expectations. And you go in there, you might get 20 people, you might get 100 people. And we ended up selling that place out and having a, having a good time. So that was awesome for me, man. I love stuff like that. That that was wall-to-wall. One of my favorite things that really uh, stood out to me within the first 10 minutes of when I went to my first CSW show was that the wrestlers integrate the kids into the show, which it's, it's so mm-hmm. important to me because that's mm-hmm. – that's what it really boils down to to me. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right because, like, the thing is, like, can I swear on her, by the way? Absolutely. Uh, all right, cool, because I'm going to accidentally. Like, I just it's going to happen. Um, But, yeah, like, you're absolutely right because what it is is, like, wrestling is for the kids. Like, and I know, like, there's different types of wrestling that is not family-friendly and there's nothing wrong with that. It's absolutely fine. But, like, right. in my mind, like, nine times out of ten – you start watching wrestling when you're like a kid or a young adult and you get hooked for life and, and it's a hard thing to quit. And so to me, like if ever I can do a show and really get a kid invested in what I'm doing, either where he loves me and he wants me to see me win or he absolutely hates me and can't wait to see my ass kick, like that's the best part of it because A, from a financial standpoint, you're going to make more money with kids. But B, just from a holistic like person standpoint, like – the kids are going to be the ones that are going to come back. They're going to tell their friends. They're going to tell their parents. They're going to, you know, be the ones that are going to buy the merchandise that are going to want to rep your stuff. Like, and so if kids have fun at your shows, everyone's going to have fun at your shows. Like, if the kids are going to have a good time, everyone else is going to feed off their energy and have a good time too. 
it's uh it's it's important because you know that they're they're pissed off at you like all month and or, or just satisfied all month that they got to watch you get your ass kicked after they wanted it Absolutely. for so long. Oh, for sure. Well, and, and like to that point, like if a kid comes to a show and has a blast and he really, really has a fun time, what's going to happen is he's going to go back to school and he's going to tell all of his friends about it. He's going to say, dude, I went to this, this show the night. It was so much fun. I, you know, yelled at this wrestler and then, you know, he yelled back at me. Like that's the stuff is like when, uh, when you're talking to kids and they get involved, that's what they hang on to. And they're like, oh, my God, this guy gave me a high five on the way to the ring. He, you know, uh, threw a piece of chicken at me. Like, whatever the deal might be, like, that's what they hang on to forever. Like, those kinds of memories last forever. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it, it empowers them, especially if they have the guts to stand up to you. It, 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 it fuels them. It mm-hmm. lowers their fear level. I've noticed when uh, – mm-hmm when there's uh, other things in their life. Have you, have you had any awesome encounters with some kid that was just losing it on you? Oh, for sure. So there was a, the, the, uh, Plainfield sports bar. The owner has a young son, um, who was a huge, huge wrestling fan. He was a huge fan of mine. Um, and so one time, um, on his birthday, I believe it was his birthday. I think he was turning like four or five years old. He, um, gave me a big old hug and I gave him a hug too. And I grabbed him, I got him into the ring and we took a couple pictures and he, uh, got to stand on the top rope during my entrance and everything. It was just a really cool moment, you know, cause like I said, like his mom's taking all these pictures, like he'll be able to tell his friends that for the rest of his life. And it's like a small thing for, for us, the wrestlers. Cause like, it doesn't take any, you know, more time for us. We're just doing our thing, but like they hang on to that stuff forever. Signed his t-shirt forever. He'll hang on to that. So that was a really cool one that sticks out to me. That'd be awesome if he came looking for you or so, some kid that didn't like it just that grew up to be a wrestler just to beat your ass. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the goal. I want some kid to love wrestling so much that he wants to fucking put me in the ground. Yeah. Hell uh, yeah. Now, uh, regarding to the ending of the show last week, uh, I'm I'm sad you lost. I loved you as our champ. Uh, one thing that does stick out to me, though, is that you're so over, I don't think you really need a belt. Hmm. There's and and that's a compliment in 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 totally. in my opinion. Uh, you're so over. You don't need a belt. And Delta Junior, I, I it, you know, bless him. I hope he he does really well and has a good run. But you've you've had a lot of championships so far. What have you held? I've actually only held two. I've held the Colorado Springs Wrestling Championship, which is the one that I lost to Delta, and then I very briefly held the Rocky Mountain Pro Ignition Championship for a couple weeks before I lost it to Jumbo at uh, Shocktober um, in October. So I've actually only held those two. I did once win a trophy from a one-night-only tournament in Longmont at Loco Pro, but those are, that's it as far as belts. That The Ignition one, that's the big one, man. How is it over there in Rock Mountain Pro as compared here in uh, Springs? So every um, different promotion has sort of its own like way of doing things. Um, and what I mean by that is like, New Era has been running for a long time. They have such a great sense of camaraderie. And I guess that's like the one constant that all the other promotions in the state have. It's like every state in this, uh, rather every promotion in this state has a good sense of camaraderie, especially because like almost everybody wrestles everywhere. So the thing about Rocky Mountain Pro is it's cool because you see a lot of guys that don't wrestle other places, which isn't for a lack of wanting to. It's just that they just want to train there and they want to get better as part of Rocky Mountain Pro. And so that's part of the reason when I came back 
for my shoulder injury that I wanted to link back up there, especially was because there's all these younger guys who had just started training that I like didn't know yet. I hadn't gone to work with yet. And it's made me such a better wrestler being back there with them. A, because training there is top notch. I just love being there and learning. But B, because I get to train and roll with these guys who've only been wrestling for, and I mean, listen, I'm not a vet by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I've been doing it for like around four years. And there are these guys that are wrestling for like a year or less who are already like incredible. Like there's so many, like Marlon, Bishop, um, Atiba, uh, Lipto, like these guys that have only been wrestling for a few months to a year, maybe a year and a half that are already like, they are going to be dudes that will be on TV. Like there's absolutely no question about that whatsoever. It's purely a matter of time. And so that's, it, it makes me so much better to get to roll around them and learn from them as much as, um, it makes me like want to get better to get to their level. You know what I mean? I do. Now, before we, for, uh, before I forget, uh, if you don't mind putting over your trainers, Totally, man. God, so many. So, like, originally I was trained by um, Hoodlum, uh, Mercury Matt Yaden, Danger Dean, Sammy Six Guns. Um, a lot of those guys have kind of gone their own separate ways and, and gone in different walks of life. So now it's like Dustin Yurick was a big was a big help for me. Um, Eric Angel was uh, my first ever match. It has always been a great source of knowledge for me. He's great. Um, Too Cold Scorpio was here for a while. He was a really good source of knowledge. Um, Airborne Alex Anthony. Um, I mean, okay, if I'm being real, this is kind of a like half-assed answer almost, but like it sounds like a cop-out, but like I really do learn from every single person I'm in the ring with. And so, um, but those are like the main guys that I kind of got it all from. Um, yeah, those are like the main cats. What's the what's the locker room like there? It's awesome, man. It's just a it's the it's a bunch of guys who are really hungry, a bunch of guys and girls bunch of people that are really really hungry that um really believe in each other um no one is ever going into that show trying to like you said earlier like get your shit in it's very much like how can we tell the best story that we can like how are we going to be able to use um to work to each other's strengths and the nice thing is that because everyone there trains with each other and knows each other so well like that's one thing that they excel at is playing to each other's strengths which can be sometimes be hard if you're in there with a guy you've never met before um, you know, I've seen, uh, we all watch each other's matches. Uh, there's a TV set up in the back. So for the whole show, everyone's just sat back there looking and watching and learning. They're pointing out critiques like, Hey, maybe try this next time. Or Hey, maybe do this. But they're also celebrating their, um, their, their good moments. They come back and they say, man, I loved how you did this. I'm going to start picking up how you did this. Cause I think this is cool. Just stuff like that, man. Like there's uh, a really good sense of, of, uh, closeness you know like everyone there is just really into seeing the other people in the locker room succeed and that's a really rare thing to have so i'm really happy to be a part of that who do you usually train with boy everybody uh recently i've gone in the morning so hang out with uh, porter blake he's great um sometimes cory lyon cody divine and i roll around a lot um some of the girls um ronnie winter comes by uh, galactic goddess is there a lot um, Johnny Casanova was there pretty recently. He and I got to roll around a little bit. Havoc, um, Curtis Cole. So, so I wish I could train more. I, I work so much now that I can't train as often as I'd like to, but I try and get in there in the mornings whenever I can. And it's, it's a cool, it's a really good time to train in the mornings. It's a little bit less, um, less structured. And, uh, so it's more just kind of like the guys going there and saying, Hey, what do you guys want to work on today? What do you want to get better at today? And just kind of make it up on the fly. 
No, that that's awesome. That's exactly how I'd want to get trained, especially if uh, you've been doing it. So you said four years uh, to get to be able to focus yeah. on to be able to focus on what you feel is your opportunities. That yeah, that's well worth getting up at the ass crack of the dawn in the morning. To totally. Work out. Well, the nice thing is you can go and you can say, "Hey, I saw your match the other night. This is what happened, and this is what I think we can improve upon." Or, you know, hey, by the way, I saw the way that match finished. Let's try doing this or whatever. Let's roll over this drill or something. Or just something like that. Like, you can use the matches you just had a couple days ago to kind of um, to kind of choose the direction of the training session when you're there. I, I love watching Rocky Mountain Pro because it's it solidifies my week. I, I watch wrestling every single night. Obviously, I watch AEW oh, yeah. Wednesdays. I'll, uh, later on, I'll... Uh, watch uh, NXT uh, probably Wednesday morning. Actually, when it's slow at work, uh, Thursday nights obviously uh, we're we're watching Charged. Uh, Dark uh, NWA Power is blowing me the fuck away. Awesome, isn't it? It's it is it is completely blowing me away. I I, I it it just it's just like you, you ever hear a joke or a story idea and like how does someone how did someone not think of that yet? Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I feel with power, um, but uh, charged. It's it's a lot of fun. The production quality is ridiculously good. Yeah, it's better than well, power. That, even like I cannot possibly put it over the production team for Rocky Mountain Pro enough. So like Kelly, um, um, Over Easy Stevie, like every single Jonathan, every single one of the guys in the back that are a part of the production team in Rocky Mountain Pro. Like there's guys that again like haven't been doing it that long. But you'd never know because they've already gotten so proficient at what they do. And then the raw guys have been doing it for a while. Like Kelly has been doing it for years now. Uh, Over Easy Stevie's got a lot of background in um, production and music and all that. But either way, there's production is sort of the same as the locker room, where you know they're not necessarily the ones in front of the camera that are trying to outdo you know the match they had last week. But it's almost like every week they try and outdo the production that they had last week. And they're constantly changing things around, constantly trying to make it look better. I mean, the fact that there's a local indie promotion in this state that we have to pay attention to the hard cam and the floor cam and the roving cam, like, that's unheard of. That's like national TV shit. So the fact that we have that opportunity with these guys is awesome. It's second to none. How does that... uh... When you're at like a, a CSW or if you're at Devotion or anything like that, uh, are you worried about? Is it still in your head where the hard cam is? Um, not really. So if you're at a um, if you're at a venue that doesn't utilize TV or doesn't have a hard cam, what you try and do is you instead try and focus on a person or people, um, and you try and kind of create a connection with them. So, you know, obviously, like, so take for instance that most recent spring show we just did. Like, I don't have a camera that I'm trying to play to. So I'll play to the most vocal part of the crowd. Now, luckily the crowd we had at that show was vocal kind of all over. So I didn't really have to try that hard. I can yeah. kind of go wherever, but like, uh, there was that group of girls right in the front. Those kind of like that group of like maybe four or five kind of younger teenage girls in the front that were making a lot of noise. Like that's a good place to play to. If you're either a, a baby face or a heel, because they're going to make a lot of reaction. The crowd will feed off of that. So, no, I don't utilize a camera so much, but it's more just kind of finding the part of the crowd that will get the most noise out of them. Would you consider yourself babyface or heel? Because it's uh, honestly, it's kind of hard for me, uh, even as a writer, to tell because you do heelish things, but you also aren't full-on bad guy to me. Yeah, it's kind of whatever. Like, it depends where I'm at, you know. Um, Rocky Mountain Pro, I'm very much a babyface. Uh, Colorado Springs, I'm very much a heel. 
Um, a lot of times in, in shows in around Denver, I'm a heel, but when I go out of state, I'm more of a baby face. So kind of whatever the promoter needs me to do that night, I'm comfortable playing either, either part. So whatever the show needs to be successful, I'm happy to do. How did you develop your character? So um, Mercury Matt Yaden gets a lot of credit for this. So we were in training. Um, I did commentary for about four or five months, and um, back when it was uh, back when it was actually NRW before Rocky Mountain Pro, and I was doing commentary for them, and uh, I was having a lot of fun. But I said, you know, I really want to get in the ring and kind of realize this dream I've had. And so we were in training one night, and. Yade was going down the row of people. It was like myself, Anaya, Mars, a couple other people. And he was like, all right, what did you guys all do for sports? And, you know, Anaya said football and Mars said wrestling. And I said, oh, marching band. And he was like, marching band? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you still play? And I said, sure. So I brought in my horn the next week and I played like the Muppets theme song or whatever. And he was like, great. That's the plan. You're going to be a marching band guy. And uh, the gear that I wear, the, the um, jacket and the shako, the helmet, is actually my high school marching band outfit that I marched in 2007. That's what's so that's why it's so, yeah, yeah, that's why it's so small on me. So yeah, that's kind of how the character got to be. Do you feel comfortable in that, or are you looking to change it oh, now, or, or is it something that just, it felt it felt right immediately, and this is what it's going to be? So it definitely felt right. I do think that it's a good um, interpretation of myself. They always say the best characters and gimmicks are, yourself amplified to a hundred. Right. I do think it's a good interpretation of myself. Um, because I'm not a tough badass, you know, I'm more of a, I'm kind of a goofier, funnier. Me. Yeah, exactly. Guy in general. Um, and so, you know, uh, I think that the character works because I do, I listen to music constantly and I'm always messing around with my trombone. And so, um, I do want to get some new gear pretty soon. I've got my, um, I've got somebody uh, working on some new gear for me. But uh, as far as the character itself, I do think it translates. I don't think anybody else is doing it in the world of wrestling now, right now, which is a big deal to me as well, is trying to be different. And so, you know, there's always ways to kind of play on it and kind of change around a little bit. But in general, I think I'm happy doing it for a while. Uh, I got to tell you, I was impressed as hell that you come out to The Cure. Oh, you like that, huh? Uh, old school goth, man. Uh, I like it a lot. Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, trombone shorty is this, uh, awesome trombone player from new Orleans. And he, um, did a really awesome version of that song. So that's the one I come out to. How'd you, how'd you land on that? Uh, that I just, so when, um, I've always loved trombone shorty. He's an amazing musician. And so, uh, when I was trying to think of like what music to utilize for an evil version of myself, I try to think of some cool, you know, kind of heavier, darker sounding, trombone music and i just happened to stumble upon that too and i was listening to it in the car and i was like oh yeah this will work what was the moment that it clicked for you when you felt that it was happening uh i felt that what was happening that you were a wrestler and not just a guy trying to be a wrestler i mean honestly i don't necessarily know that it has or at least not all the time I think that there are nights where you just feel really good and feel like you're nailing it. And then there are other nights where you're still trying to get over the whole, you know, nervousness and trying to kind of come to terms with the fact that you're going to go uh, wrestle or fake wrestle a guy in your underwear um, in front of people you don't know. You know what I mean? I do. And so, uh, so that's, yeah, and that's a relatable feeling, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would say it necessarily has completely clicked for me. 
so much as just like this ongoing conversation I'm having, this internal dialogue of like, okay, I think I can do this. I just have to get more confident in it and continue to kind of get better and, you know, become more proficient in every aspect of wrestling. And so it's all about trying to gain confidence through each match you have. Some nights you're going to have a good one. Some nights you're going to have bad ones. But at the end of the day, like, everyone's just trying to make each other better. And so rather than look at it as, like, I feel like I've made it, it's more of, like, okay, I'm becoming more and more confident every night, you know? If that makes sense? It makes perfect sense. How do you snap out of it from your true self into your wrestler self when you walk through For the For sure. So um, listening to music way to a show helps. Um, that's a big deal. And then, honestly, just kind of – I'm always really nervous. Like, I'm always really nervous before um, a match. But as we get closer and closer and closer, I get I become a little bit more calm down. I start to breathe a little bit easier. I start to kind of get more in the zone. And then typically, like, right when my music hits, I'm usually pretty much ready, ready to go, fired up, and ready to go have a good match or whatever, you know? When, when I think about wrestlers now, as opposed to before I started uh, interviewing y'all, there's, it's like, I, I found that quite a lot of you are, are, are introverts with an, mm. e- with a, with a dynamic explosive ego that just is ready to come out and it just bursts out there. And it's, it's, it's really awesome to see because I know a lot of people and myself included that, you know, have anxiety problems or, uh, they, you know, just are not people that really like interacting with people, but their wrestler self does. And, and I've heard a lot of my, uh, buddies, uh, tell me how wrestling has brought them out of their shells to be the person that they've always wanted to be. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. So, yeah, what it is is that um, I do think there is a part of it where, you know, I've met a lot of people in wrestling where it's funny because wrestling is is such a dynamic, like, you go into it and you're like, okay, like, this guy has got a lot of confidence, like, he feels like he's uh, king of the world, whatever, and it's just not the case a lot of times. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I personally know who have gotten into wrestling and have used that to kind of get motivation. Um, so many people that are involved in wrestling are just kind of quiet, shy people that use it as a way to kind of come out of their shells to to your point. And so like, for me, like I'm not necessarily the most confident person in general. Um, in my day to day life, I am, I'm an extrovert for sure, but I'm not this like big bombastic, um, loud mouth character. It's more of like, I get, I guess wrestling is the stage for that, where I can have that come out. And, you know, for 10 or 12 minutes or however long the match ends up going, like, that's who I need to be for that moment for the show to succeed. And so um, it's weird, man. It's it's a weird kind of juxtaposition that you get where you're trying to um, kind of bring it out of yourself but also not make it look manufactured, if that makes sense. And that takes a long time to master. Without revealing too much that you're not comfortable of, uh, do you have a family? I do. Like uh, kids, wife? Oh, super not. No, I meant like I have parents. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, how do they feel about you wrestling? Is it something that they enjoy you doing or is it something they more think of as a hobby or they're there yeah. at the show with your shirt? So um, my parents have always been really supportive of me in my life. Um, I'm really lucky that I've got parents that will pretty much have my back on just about everything. Um. My parents, they still have a bit of a hold up just because it is dangerous. Like, they've seen me wrestle a lot of times before. 
they know the risks that come with it. And so, you know, that kind of freaks them out sometimes. They don't necessarily like some of the higher spots we do or whatever. But in general, they're really supportive. Um, a lot of my extended family really likes it. Um, they're, they're stoked that I got into it. Uh, my friends have always been really supportive of it. Um, because, you know, I think everyone kind of knows, like, at this time in my life, it's not my big money-making um, opportunity. I do have a quote-unquote real job that pays the bills and everything. But this is something that I hope will become a big money-making opportunity. And I've been really lucky to have the support system that I do, who have always had my back on it, who have always kind of pushed me to become the best version of myself in wrestling. Now, uh, we'll, uh, as we're winding down uh, later on, uh, we'll get to where you want to go, where you ultimately want to be. But right now, where have you been so far in terms of uh, so, wrestling territories? Yeah, totally. So Colorado, i got to count it on my hands. So like Colorado, Texas, Wyoming, um, let's see, uh, North Carolina, or no, where was that? North, South Dakota is what it is. South Dakota, Kansas, Oklahoma. Um, I believe that's it. Have you that been sounds to, about right. Have you been to Devotion yet? I have not. I'm actually going to be, oh, I've gone to actually, but I've not wrestled for Devotion. I will actually be making my Devotion, um, debut, um, next month, um, but uh, yeah, keep that on the DL for right now, skis. Yeah. But yeah, I'll be heading down to Devotion uh, next month. It's gonna be a really fun time. Um, always love seeing those guys. So um, yeah, always looking to get out places and go places I haven't been before. Um, really stoked to see those guys. I love Devotion. I love Manny. I love all those cats. Yeah, uh, Manny's a, a very nice gentleman. I accidentally botched his intro music last month, and I. He left early to go work a primo show, and so I didn't get to apologize. But when I saw him on uh, Saturday night, I was like, "Listen, man, it was a complete accident. I apologize. I hope it didn't ruin your vibe." And he was just, he was like, "No, man, it's cool. Don't don't even worry about it." And uh, it was just that it was it was a nice connection. Just like, listen, this is who I am. I will if I mess up. I'll let you know and apologize or try to make things right. But the vibe I got from him. Uh, everyone from Utah that night was just the biggest sweethearts. I was actually uh, having a couple of drinks with them after after the show with Sammy and Daisy, and it was just one of the highlights of, of my life, just hanging out with totally. True Blue uh, performers. It was like hanging out with a theater troupe that just specializes in violence. And yeah. it it's it's I've mentioned it uh, well a couple of times. It's it it didn't. It didn't take a lot for me to get over, over. I wouldn't say I'm over, over in, in general, but I've gotten nothing but positive uh, responses to the project that we're working on as a journalist, not just a podcaster. And get, sure. getting to sit there with those guys and be one of the boys was it – was, it was awesome. It's like we all have our, our function. We all do what we do. And uh, I, I can't wait to talk to those guys in, in Utah because – they were absolute sweethearts, uh, gentlemen. I wouldn't want to piss them off, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I definitely can't wait to get them on the show. I can't wait to uh, see any playback uh, from Devotion because God, those guys are everywhere now. They're on billboards. Uh, Guns oh with, yeah, man. Yeah, Guns was saying that they're like advertising uh, in uh, Utah jazz shows and stuff. So that's that just makes me so happy that wrestling is getting so over. Well, that's the thing, man. Like, everyone talks about, you know, and that's what they should. Everyone should talk about, like, how great AEW is doing. Obviously, WWE have a, have a great presence in mainstream media and, like, 
now NWA Power is getting bigger, but like it's really true that wrestling in all forms, in all sizes, is becoming such a bigger deal. You mentioned Devotion's got these promotions at the Utah Jazz Games. Um, Rocky Mountain Pro is going to be um, doing a joint show uh, with the Mammoth on uh, in uh, January. Um, they are going to be doing on the fourth of January. They're going to be running a show with uh, the Colorado Mammoth at the Pepsi Center. So like, it's so cool to see like these. I mean, they're indie promotions, but they've got this mainstream appeal, at least in their general um, areas. And it just, to your point, just shows how awesome wrestling is right now and how hot the product is all over the place. There's a lot of buzz about what's going on in Amarillo right now. The Albuquerque, oh yeah, yeah. The Albuquerque guys were telling me that new uh, that new promotion that's going on. Well, not like new, new. It's more of like a rebranded uh, version of what's going on and how awesome it's been and how great the the crowd is. Uh, but uh, that being said, um, where did you wrestle in Oklahoma? I'm from Oklahoma. So I wrestled in Oklahoma. Oh, God. Where did we go? I apologize. It's spacing me right now. We went out there for some quick little... Were you, uh, were you at a mall? Trip. Say again? Was it, at a, was it at a mall? Like an old mall? No, it was, it was pretty close to the border. God, I'll have to ask my guys when I get done with this because I, I don't remember this at all. It was a couple years ago. I'm just curious because uh, I've got a couple people that have got me in contact with uh, people that know everyone in, in Oklahoma. My uh, partner that I do the Wednesday shows with that founded Minefields with me uh, is looking for more shows in Oklahoma to go to. But it's it's kind of few and far between. There's like this promotion that happens at Crossroads Mall and there's something that happens in Tulsa every now and then. But it's not happening – the way it's happening here. And I feel really bad for him because that sucks. <laughs> I, I like indie that wrestling. A- I like indie wrestling and I like what Colorado's putting out. And uh, I was talking to Colt a couple weeks ago and you oh, know, nice. he was just saying, you know, it's not really that much of a wrestling state. And I'm like, why not? Let's do it. Let's make it. Hell yeah. And um, I've got a big project I'm going to tell you about after we're done recording uh, that I want you to be a part of. But um, it's it's nice the way things are going. Is like I said, I'm gonna bring it, bring it back to what I was saying earlier. The camaraderie and how well things were run on Saturday night, whether it was Randy's idea or the boys backstage just putting on great shows, it mm-hmm. was it was the way it should have been. And I I really hope all of y'all that were there or the people that got to watch uh, in the crowd, it was awesome that there were wrestlers that weren't booked for that show that still showed up to support their boys rather than stay at home, uh, keep that standard because it it is like if, if you could bottle that and, and just, or make the recipe, like it'll make the state huge. Like the, like, like the way that you, you, you don't think of Illinois as a wrestler, uh, a wrestling state, but you know, Chicago is a wrestling city for goddamn sure. Huge spot for wrestling. Why not the whole state? We've got the Springs. They're, they're doing stuff in uh, in Fountain now. They're doing stuff in uh, Pueblo. They're doing stuff in uh, Boulder. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's that's that's the heart line. That's the nervous system. Uh, I, I'm I'm just proud to be here at this at this point. And it's obviously coincidence that you know well not coinc- not too much of a coincidence because there's a wrestling renaissance going on in the first place. Yeah. 
but I'm I'm just so proud to be part of this uh, on the on the front lines watching y'all. Is there any, is there anything in particular that you feel you can bring to the table, or any ideas that you have to make it a more cohesive state? Uh, Colorado specifically. Colorado specifically. Um, so I gotta say, I think Colorado in general is a pretty cohesive state as it is. I think that they, like like I said earlier, like I really think that well, a pretty much everybody wrestles everywhere. Everybody knows each other. Everyone has a lot of respect for each other. Um, in general, there's not a lot of like heat in this state. When I was when I first started training, I kept, I kept hearing all the stories. You know, you listen to all the old guys telling their stories about how like, oh, I've got heat with this cat, and there's this kind of heat, and we had this kind of argument, and like I, that's just never happened uh, in Colorado. Some really, my knowledge, like guys are getting little spats here and there, fine, but overall, like this is a pretty cohesive state. Uh, you know, even if not necessarily everyone wrestles on the same show all the time. Everyone always wants each other to do well. You know, I see I see Rocky Mountain Pro guys sharing new era events. I see Primo's guys saying that people should go to CSW shows. Like, it's stuff like that that just shows the – even it's not – like, again, even it's not a, a full-on partnership. I just think there's a good amount of camaraderie for the state and for all the people in it. And I think that that's a really cool thing to have. I agree. And since I've started working, it's been, well, just the, the podcast. I'm not an actual worker that make sure we're for sure, for <laughs> sure. defined here for our, gotcha. all our listeners here. I haven't heard, any, I haven't heard anything like, Oh, you can't wrestle for those guys. Or I can't go. I, I can't, uh, don't bring these guys up because, mm-hmm. or it, it's been, it's, it's been refreshing. I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's been since February, but even mm-hmm. then it, it, it the other shoe hasn't dropped. It's just been going and going. Uh, is there? Absolutely. Let's bring it back to you. Is you've had a lot of great matches so far. Is there anyone you haven't wrestled yet that you've got your eye on? Oh God, how much time do we have? We've got um, as much time as you want. Yeah, man, so many, so many. Um, okay. God, see, I literally have to like, narrow down my list. Um, I would love to wrestle somebody like. You know, I've never wrestled Caleb Crush one-on-one. I have, um, I would love the opportunity to wrestle Xander Creed again before he leaves. Um, I have uh, many a match with Cody Devine, but I'm always down to lock up with him too. Um, I would love to wrestle somebody like Curtis Cole one-on-one. Um, even though he and I do a lot of the same shows, we, I don't think we've ever wrestled one-on-one except for maybe one time briefly. Um... I would like to wrestle, uh, you know, shoot pretty much anybody. I mean, there's just, there's literally so many people. It's, I'm having trouble, like, naming them all. Uh, God, like, somebody like uh, Dooley Trailer comes to mind. Somebody like, I don't know, man. Uh, just anybody. You know, I, I know it's like a lame answer, but, like, I really am not picky. I'm so happy to get in the ring with anybody that I haven't, or shoot, I mean, uh, anybody that I've ever wrestled or not. Like, every single time I get in the ring, I get better. And so, you know, every single time I get the opportunity to work with somebody that's new, it's it ends up being a, a huge blessing for me. And so, yeah, man, shoot. I just get excited to think about it. Whoever wants it can get it. Would you ever do any intergender matches? Absolutely. I've done a couple. Um, I've actually got another one coming up. I'll be wrestling um, Abaddon uh, next Wednesday at the Oriental Theater where she will undeniably eat my soul. Um, but, yeah, I, I've done a couple, and uh, I'm super open to doing more. She's actually my uh, favorite wrestler from the state. 
Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Like, boy, girl, man, woman, woman wrestler, male wrestler. Uh, I've watched every one of her matches. That girl is nuts. <laughs> She's so good. Abaddon is amazing. Abaddon is one of those people that I really believe will make um, a lot of money in wrestling and will become a, a, a household name or at the very least like a very well-known competitor. Um, she's come so far in the in the uh, reasonably short time that she has been wrestling. January, um, she's got such a love for the product and such a love for wrestling. So sky's the limit for her. I think she said, I think I was looking at it. I remember she's one of the first people I followed on Instagram. I think she, like mm-hmm. January is when she really got going. Like, she she'd been doing That's stuff right. beforehand, but um, it was like January when things like picked up. From if I remember correctly, I've, I've got a great, I've got a good memory. Uh, but no, that sounds right to me. That that's awesome. Uh, not it's it's uh, the way they package you guys. It's it's loose, but it's tight. Like they let I can tell they let you do what you need, and then they help you bring it home. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. It, well, when you say that, how do you mean? In what context? In terms of like they let you do what you want, but then they help you uh, trim the fat and reorganize to make your image what you want to be. But they help you with their own, uh, you know, gilded, established knowledge. I got you. Yes, absolutely. So the nice thing um, about Rocketman Pro, especially, is like there's such a great core of guys like um, uh, Austin Reddick and Yaden and Curtis Cole. These guys that are very much considered the leaders, uh, very much the locker room leaders, um, they will tell you what they think you should do to get better, and then they will let you do it. It's up to you to decide exactly what that looks like. They'll say, hey, we really think it would help you in you know, your gimmick or your wrestling to do this, and then this is the way we think it would be kind of cool for you to go about it, but we want your interpretation on it and to see exactly what you think makes sense. And then from there, man, it's entirely on you to just go ahead and figure it out. So there's very much this freedom to do whatever you believe is the right way to go about things. And that's awesome because, you know, it's always great to have the feedback from guys that are better than you and the guys have been doing it longer than you. But with the ability to also do your own thing and kind of make it yours so it's not so uh, manufactured and it's just kind of organic, like that's the shit. Who uh, who helps you design your your merch? Uh, so I actually did my own merch uh, years ago, and I'm only just now getting through it all. So um, the T-shirts I had made from a local guy here in town, um, the stickers that got made online, and then the eight by tens. I just um, utilized some pictures that were taken of me by uh, Caitlin Rice, her photography, and um, she's great, by the way. She's the um, best. Caitlin Rice. She, she, <laughs> He's amazing. Um, yeah. Devin Christopher as well. Uh, there's a couple really, really great photographers in the state who make us look so great. Caitlin Rice and Devin Christopher are the first two that come to mind. Um, they are awesome. And uh, I use some of their pictures on my social media. And, like, I used a couple of Caitlin's pictures on my 8x10s. So, um, yeah, they're great. I'm not sure they realize how important they are. Um now, you guys have your own videos that go out. I know that everything is videotaped. It's not always put online. Uh, you got to watch Rocky Mountain Pro on uh, Twitch. It used to be on the uh, Impact or the – what was it before the Impact app? Um, I forgot what it was called. But... 
yeah, fight, maybe. It, it was it was something uh, I can't remember what exactly it was called, but I remember then like when I got it, like within like eight months, it became the Impact app, and then Rocky Mountain Pro left it. Uh, they've got some uh, old stuff on it, but in regards mm-hmm. to exposure. It's those guys' photos, uh, Devin Christopher and Caitlin. And I'm a little partial to Caitlin because I, I haven't met uh, Devin yet. But it's it's one of those things like, wow, um, it's either her her photo or, or Devin's. Like it's 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 all of y'all's stuff, and it's the it's in my opinion what's more exposed. Yep. And, and well, and like you said, like photography has always been a massively important part of wrestling that I think people sometimes forget about. Um, obviously there's all these iconic pictures of the photographers on the uh, canvas taking the pictures of the wrestlers way back when that was a little bit more commonplace, but I mean, Devin and Caitlin, um, it's like, and, and Caitlin, especially like she doesn't necessarily necessarily like have that much experience quote unquote with taking wrestling pictures she has now but before before, um both of them are so good at getting these both action shots and like you know the money shots and the ramps or whatever i mean it's like they're absolute professionals they have both um picked up these skills and these tricks of the game of photography that i can't even begin to understand and they're both so good at finding the shots that like we wouldn't even think to get and and they're also great about just letting us, like, as long as we tag them and, you know, as long as we um, say, hey, this is the credit, then we can use them on anything. And that's so great to have because they're professionally done shots by people who just, again, like, that's the, it's the theme of this whole, of this whole conversation is, like, they just want to help us get better and help us get exposed. And the same way we also want to help them get exposed as well because their work deserves to be hung in a museum or some shit because they're awesome. I, I, I'm glad you, you said that. Um... I've always had a problem with the fact that a lot of people don't consider comic book art as fine art, and I consider Ridiculous comic it's absolutely fine art. I can yeah it it is, and uh, it it bothers me that it's not always considered that. And I love the fact that you just said something I have only just thought uh, in the back of my head. Like some of these photos, yeah, they're wrestlers, but some of this is fine art. You can't just hit the button and accidentally do things yeah it can happen every now and then but once you get good uh you can you can really just kick some ass and whether if it's like um for example one of the 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 first thing that made me think of that was it was a couple years ago when daniel bryan gave his retirement speech and he 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 teared up uh in the in the ring and he left but they posted a photo of him on his knees and his wife, uh, I can never remember, is it Brie or Nikki? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I can never get them. I can never. I always get them mixed up. But his wife was just holding First. him as he was sobbing at, at the loss of his dream and his hopes. And it, there was so much encapsulated in that photo. It was like she knew that that was the one thing that mattered most to him. But it also wasn't one of those things where she was like, why doesn't he care about me more? Um, she understood. Yeah. And they they captured that photo, and I, I really think my I thought when I saw that that should be in a museum, because whether or not yeah. you understood what he gave up, or or lost, or what had supposedly been stolen from him at the time, uh, that that look of anguish, uh, the 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 shot of uh, Benoit when uh, Eddie died, 
the the look of anguish on his face. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, yeah. I'm just focusing on the negative, but it some of those things need to be expressed and to be studied. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. Like, and to your point, like comic book art, especially like uh, who's my man's? Uh, I always forget his name. I think it's Russell Dodderman. Does that sound right? Like this, the dude, the way he does his covers. Um, the one that always stuck with me is there's a cover from um, earlier last year uh, that he did for the Death of the Mighty Thor. Spoilers for like a year and a half old comic. But uh, like comics books to me, I'm a huge comics guy. And like that is that is absolutely fine art to me in the same way that, you know, these guys photography is like comic book art is unlike anything else in the world. And I like wish that I had the kind of talent that some of these cats do to make the drawings pop off the page like they do. Um, I love comic art. You're correct about Dodderman. His work on uh, Jane Foster as Thor was groundbreaking in regards oh, to yeah. in regards to how they were. That was a that was a ballsy story to do. To I love Jane Foster as Thor. I loved it. Oh, dude, I cried uh, when when it all came to a head and. Um, disintegrating cancer into it in the first place yeah. i didn't feel that was a cash grab that 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 really hit home to me i lost my big brother uh two and a half years ago and um integrating that part of the story and then the way it ended in in space with odin giving it up to her that was just oh, like yeah. oh jesus like uh, yeah man i i'm so uh if we're going off topic stop me but like there's a whole um, mindset about like the new sort of wave of Marvel comics in like having all these different characters, like this new Ironheart and the new Ant Woman, uh, or rather, uh, uh, the well, sort of, and then, the um, you know, the new Thor and everything. And personally, I love it, I think it's great. Um, I think it's so much fun. Um, all these new characters telling these new stories and stuff like that. Well, we're not going off topic, I don't know if you noticed, but this uh, whole uh. Our, our thing is comics and wrestling. Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the only thing I have a problem with is when I feel like I'm being cheated with a new character that is only being written to play to a new demographic, whether or not it's going to stay around forever or not. For example, when they made Iceman gay all of a sudden. I was like, why did you do that? Like, okay, I didn't have a problem with Iceman being gay, but like it was – like what in in my mind it was some businessman that knows little to nothing about comics in a meeting with the writers being uh, uh the our demographics uh we've got a lot of new uh homosexual uh readers we need a new um uh, make iceman gay just do it and then okay well why just make iceman gay arbitrarily then make a kick-ass gay character, <laughs> like a, a brand new one that can encapsulate that sort of thing. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't like it when I feel like I'm being um, cash grabbed at. Like I, I have to That's buy fair. this. Um, That's fair. Uh, Lionheart, um, I was a little suspicious at first, but she was a shitload of fun. Her in her garage making a fucking Iron Man suit. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and especially because for me, like, there's the whole um, context of, like, she grew up in um, Chicago. There was gang violence. Um, she lost her best friend because of it. Um, you know, there's so much to her character. I love Ironheart. I like a lot, a lot of the uh, of the champions. Um, I really liked um, Amadeus Cho as the Hulk. Um, I really liked um, Viv Vision. 
So in general, I'm a huge fan of all the champions, and I thought Riri was my favorite one. There was a weird arc earlier last year where Tony Stark um, died but didn't because comics. Um, right. And so she, there was all these people kind of taking up the mantle, like Doctor Doom was um, was, was Iron Man for a minute there, which was kind of cool, that cool, kind of weird. Movie. But to me, I think that Riri was uh, this character that was able to take up and like they kind of you know. They had him still around. They had the little Tony Stark AI in her head the whole time. But to me, I think she just really grew into her own as her own character so seamlessly. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm one of those guys. I really like a lot of the newer guys. Like I said, so this is going to be controversial. But like my favorite Ghost Rider is Robbie Reyes um, with his uh, with his car. That's my favorite iteration of Ghost Rider. So been religious. Um, some of the newer characters have been hit or miss, but I think she landed. Big time. I've been religiously following Robbie Reyes as uh, Ghost Rider uh, recently. Did you see that uh, the Chargers done? And uh, oh, I didn't. Yeah, Nuts. yeah, the Chargers done. He's got a bike, and he had a huge knockdown drag out with Johnny Blaze, who was. They actually had a a race through hell, and the winner of the race would win the throne of hell. Uh, that had recently <laughs> been. Uh, um, left by uh, Dormammu. Uh, no, 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 not Dormammu. Uh, God, I'm not Dormammu. I'm, I'm spacing. It's uh, God, you broke Mephisto. Up. What'd you say? Mephisto. Mephisto. Mephisto was one of those guys. I can't. But it was just. It was a. It was like a. It was in the pages of Ghost Rider and in the Avengers. And the Avengers had to teach Robbie uh, teamwork. Like, and it's not that he wasn't trying to be a team player. He just was suspicious of it, and then they had to go into hell to help him win a race after uh, he encountered his parents down there. I mean, every awful thing that could distract him from winning that race. And then you casually uh, you casually glanced over one of the best comic books in the decade, which was Vision. That 12-issue story was yeah. – I've read it four times. Mm. The family dynamic – Oh, so well done, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it was it was absolutely well done. I didn't I I didn't see it coming, but you you saw the first cover and you knew it was special. And Hell yeah. when the uncle comes and kills uh kills the son, oh dude, I was in stitches. Like I was oh dude. Uh in in it in it brings back all these other things in my mind because I'm a, I'm a big Star Trek the Next Generation fan. Uh a, Oh, nice. An an android that wants to be as human as he possibly can is probably more human than all of us. The way data is and the, the, the vision was computing his feelings that he lost his son as what he thought as an Android, but it was even more intense than what we ourselves as humans would feel. Uh, that was not something that he was going to get over. It was something imprinted humans get over things. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And that's what's so cool about it, man. Like, oh, dude, if anybody's listening to this and they haven't read it, like, go read that, please. It's so well done. God, it's so well done. It's it's definitely worth uh, it's it's worth having the single issues for your archives. Uh, something yes. that's special, but it's also something that I would recommend just buying as the graphic novel so you can read it in the bathroom or take it to work. But that's most cool. importantly, it's one of those books that needs to be lent to a friend and you don't care if you get it back or not because yep. you're going to give it to someone else. It's, it feels like, not to put it over too much, but it's almost like you're reading it, but it's like you're like experiencing it. 
You know what I mean? I do. Like it really is. It's something that is just so visceral. It makes you. It, it takes you to this whole range of emotions. There's funny moments. There are cripplingly sad moments. There's, it's so human. The writing doesn't feel like it's not like you're reading a comic book. It's like you're reading just like a story of a person. And that's the best part of comics is when they can kind of just take you away from everything and bring you into this world. And I really think that Vision book does that. One time I was at work uh, reading comic books and uh, I was on my lunch break, but I didn't leave my desk. I just ate my lunch at my desk and I was reading. A, I can't remember exactly what comic it was. But all of a sudden, I just snapped out of it, and, and uh, my boss was like, I've been calling your name like four or five times, and she like grabbed me by the shoulder, and I, I pointed at the panel I was looking at that I was reading, and so you see that tree? And she's like, yeah. I was like, that's where I was standing when, uh -huh. when you snapped me out of this. And she's like, all right, uh -huh. I'll leave you alone. It's not a big deal. And I, I, was, I was legit pissed. I was that... I was that uh, immersed. You know when you're reading and people try to talk to you? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> the worst. The absolute worst. Yeah. No. It just, uh, but let's, let's get back to you while we wind things down, brother. A um, uh, couple uh, cliche questions I like to ask all of uh, the, the wrestlers that are kind enough to grace our uh, podcast. Uh, who yeah. was your guy when you were a kid? Who, who was your original guy? Or, or girl wrestler when you first started watching wrestling? I had so many, but it would it would have to come down to uh, Eddie Guerrero was the first match I ever saw. I saw him in JBL in a steel cage on SmackDown. It was the first match I ever saw. Gripped me for the rest of my life. Love him forever and ever and ever. One of the best to ever do it. I love John Cena. Um, I still do. But uh, he just he totally encapsulated me as a kid. Um Huge, huge, huge AJ Styles fan. I first started getting into TNA, kind of that 2007-8-9 area. I was a big fan of uh, Chris Saban. All those kind of X-Division cats, but especially those two. Um, I only started watching wrestling about 2005 or six, so I've got I've still got so much to catch up on. But those were kind of the first guys that came to mind. And it's funny because my style of wrestling could not be further from theirs. Um, but those are the dudes that originally kind of uh, got me interested and kept me hooked forever. What was the moment you realized you wanted to be a wrestler or decided to? Hmm. I would have to say when I went to Raw in February of 2015 because I had never been to a live wrestling show before. Um, I uh, had never gone to see um, WWE or any other indie live in my life. I didn't know there were indies in Colorado. I looked into wrestling school when I was in high school, but – there wasn't really anything near me, especially nothing that was affordable, so I kind of put it to bed. My buddy got me tickets to go to Raw with him. I said, sure. We went there. We sat next to Hoodlum, and, um, you know, we started talking, and he was like, you know, uh, I've got, you know, we've got this promotion, NRW, back then, turned into Rocky Mountain Pro. We had this promotion, NRW. We're running the show on Friday. You should come check it out. I said, sure. And I saw it live, and I was thinking, man, like, these are these guys who have not made it yet, right? They haven't, like, become national stars. Um, I saw these guys like Duff Doyle, um, my buddy Anarchist, who, if you're listening, I love you, Trevor Charles. Um, I saw Matt Yaden. I saw um, Danger Dean. I saw all these guys. Jesse Sorensen was there, which is very cool. Trajan Ender. I saw all these guys who they live in this area or they did live in this area, and they were just guys like me. Like, they were all in way better shape, and they were way better athletes, obviously, but, like, they were just guys. 
they were just people that were doing this because they loved it and to hopefully get that break. And I said, man, like this is the path. This is where it starts it's from this smaller independent level. And then you just get more well-known and you got to start somewhere. So I said, sure, let me take a crack at this. And then, yeah, March 1st, 2015, I got my that would have been a good Raw to go to. That was right before WrestleMania, so Rollins still had the uh, money in the uh, money in the bank. Uh, primetime players are still around. Uh, New Day. I said fourteen. I'm sorry. Okay, all right. So yeah, you said fifteen. So I was thinking. All right. So My bad. If, no. So if it's fourteen, then yeah. Uh, I actually got back into wrestling um, on the day after WrestleMania in 2015. I was at a nice. liquor store, and this guy behind me had an Austin 316 shirt on. And I was like, that's a beautiful shirt, brother. And he was like, hell yeah, it is. Going to my buddy's house, getting some beer. We're watching WrestleMania tonight. I'm like, that's tonight? And uh, he's like, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be awesome. And I was like, I was like, man, I wish I want to watch WrestleMania. And then uh, the next day, I would, I'd been thinking about it since all day, since leaving that store. And then the next night, I got home from work. And I'm like, I wonder if it's on Hulu. And um, it was no, it was a Tuesday because it was it was um, it would have been a Tuesday because um, it's the day after on Hulu. But I, I caught the the Raw after WrestleMania, and I I for I'd forgotten that the Raw after WrestleMania is the best Raw of the year. And yeah. ever since then, it's I've just been full speed ahead. And then I God, it was like maybe a year and a half later and I kept seeing all these bullet club shirts and I was like, what's that? Oh, <laughs> and then, sure. And oh, sure. I was, I was into wrestling, but when I found bullet club, when I found new Japan pro, uh, it, it I was done. <laughs> I was like, that's, it's just yeah, yeah. It, it was different. It was, it was a more of a, it was a more all encompassing obsession than it was when i was a kid or even a teenager or a young adult when i was still into it i, I tuned out when cena showed up interesting i tuned out when cena tuned out uh i don't have a problem with cena i just i'm a heel guy so these these big boy scouts uh i'm not too into but uh even then even then the, the attitude era was was winding down but um uh last question uh if you had uh a contract for New Japan Pro, Rocky uh-huh. Rocky Mountain Pro. Well, not Rocky Mountain Pro. Uh-huh. We're gonna leave that because you're already there. Uh, Ring of <laughs> Honor, Ring of Honor, AW or WWE. Right in front of you. Okay. What would you sign? God, I have to pick one of those. You have to pick one of them. WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, or New Japan. I'd probably go with either Ring of Honor or AEW. Um, Ring of Honor has a bit more flexibility from what I understand, and I don't really know all of them that well. Um, I would say probably Ring of Honor because then um, it would allow me to have a bit more flexibility. Um, Or obviously AEW would be great. The thing about me is I'm not necessarily sure how well my style of wrestling fits into the AEW style, at least to this point in my very, very green career, um, I think that I would want to kind of work on my ability further um, before I went there. But yeah, I mean, and listen, I would sign any of those tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? But like, if you had to pick between those, probably AEW, I guess, is my final answer. 
a good answer. Uh, I, I do like your original answer before that because it tells me that you're looking to go on more of a journey, especially if you want to go to or ROH or uh, New Japan because then you can either be Young Lion, learn it from the ropes up, and really you're able to go back and forth and go through their system. You can get to go through your excursion. Because uh, I think that's important. Um, I've, I've, I'm sorry, I've, I've, I left Impact out, but Impact is... Uh, one of my favorites right now uh it's it gets a lot of heat because people can't differentiate between tna anymore but uh there's and you know what to, to that point if you had said impact that would have been my answer oh yeah uh, there's but that but the the good thing was is there's so many i spaced on all of them that that's awesome isn't that great yeah what a, what a good problem to have huh i agree uh now uh where do we well, find like, you the thing about it is the thing about it being, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like, the thing about it ends up being for me is like, I have no delusions of grandeur. I'm not somebody who considers myself like dead set on any of those, really. I'm more looking to get into wrestling to travel and to have fun and make some money and, you know, make friends and just kind of see what it takes me. I don't believe that I'm going to get to any of those levels personally, but I would love to surprise myself. And I am really just in it to have. Uh, these adventures and to meet all these people and to go all these places and just have as much fun as I can. Well, uh, I would uh, disagree with you in regards to um, how you see yourself because I see a lot more, uh, a lot more, and uh, I'm, I can't wait to see more of you, man. Uh, obviously, Thank you. <laughs> obviously you wouldn't be on the show otherwise because uh, I'm a picky asshole when it comes to gets to, uh, I've, I've, I'd like to think I've been uh, 100 for 100 in terms of all the wrestlers I've had on the show. I've had Eric Angel, uh, oh. Damon Ace. Hell, I had Big Guns today. Um, started out with the uh, Achilles, now uh, Javi Cruz. Uh, I've had nothing but success with this, but that's all because of you guys. And oh. you guys putting each other over and making sure that, you know, good products out there and uh, I, I can't be more thankful. Well, we appreciate the positivity you've been spreading. Um, you know, it's so easy to kind of pick a side or whatever, pick your favorite promotion and die for whatever, but the positivity you're spreading and kind of bringing together is awesome. And it's, it does not go unnoticed. Well, I, I appreciate you brother. Uh, let us know how to find you on uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter, social media, whatever you got. Totally. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, PayPal, Venmo, all of it is Cormac Battle Pro, C-O-R-M-A-C-B-A-T-T-L-E Pro. So hit me up on all of them. Um, say hi, whatever, do you thing. Hell yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, this will be out uh, next week, and this transmission is ending, and this is dangerous. Thank you so much. Don't hang up. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah. I'm just hoping like that both, Wesley uh, comes back in this because I want that man. Sorry, I was going to control over your control language. And um, being a hardcore character that means everything the way he should have had had he not been bullied uh, as a child. There's no. I'm not looking down on him for this. I, oh, I that's a great point. I'm talking about Will Wheaton. I, I, I don't 
I want his redemption where he deserves it, and we get we get the You're talking about Will uh, Wheaton. I, I, like the the impression I uh-huh. get from this, and I know he was in this actual movie, is that this series is going to be the Logan of TNG, as in the movie Logan. Uh, yeah, Picard. Yeah. I imagine it to be the Logan, except in individual series? series, and we have... To oh, the new episodes. one? Oh, Picard I, in January? I, I demand uh-huh. that Will Wheaton comes back. I want his redemption. I, do, I don't want him crying on any more Comic-Con panels where he explains that, yeah, he was bullied oh to death God. for being in that show, going to school in California. And that that sucks. He could have been one of the greats, and he should be a great and this should be his redemption. I, mm-hmm. It'd be astonishing to have him come back and like save the day. Kind of like he did in the uh, last... Um, Could you imagine well, not Will Wheaton, if, but Wesley he, in, if this um, series leads to... The Q, with, in the Q, the if I was Q right, Star if Trek, we were Star writing Q it. Book. If we were writing it, I would insist that it would end in Will Reaton's redemption as a great artist, a great actor, a great writer. Uh, obviously, he's going to have some sort of production credit. Uh, but also, for it to end with a Picard handing, handing it off to him and then him getting the Enterprise. I would kill. I would... Oh, dude, I would kill for an entire Star Trek series, maybe two, three ser- uh, uh, seasons, where, oh, where no. Crusher... I don't think that's possible. Is that... It doesn't matter. We can still write that in. <laughs> we can still write that in. He doesn't have the seasoning to be a captain. Yeah, I, I read an interesting point of view the other day. Is there... Because people were talking about Nog. I know you're not familiar with Aaron Eisenberg, beloved, beloved Deep Space Nine performer who played Nog. Um, and we see him being the first Ferengi in Starfleet. And he and you're going to fall in love with this guy. You are absolutely going to fall in love with this guy. And um, there's an alternate reality where he is the captain of his own ship. There's two alternate realities. I think we see Wait, just one, just one. And then. They bring Captain Nog back in one of the novels following Enterprise because Jake and Nog get together. They had a falling out, but they get together to nice. research the possibility that the last episode of Enterprise isn't the last episode of Enterprise, basically. And that was such a crazy direction to go. It's a really good book. And it set off all of the Enterprise kind of season five, six episodes. Or storylines. And um, it's so weird to think of that now. You know, you have like Buffy season eight comics or whatever. You've got, you know, you oh yeah, this is the next, this is the continuing, yeah. this is the chrono- chronological continuation of this series or whatever. St- Firefly for that matter. Anything else. Joss Whedon's good at that stuff. Anyway, so um, I know what you're saying. And... The development of it, the point that I was trying to get to is that why is there is there any plot line? Is there anything where these characters don't get their own captaincy? Like why does Harry have to be a captain at the end of Voyager? Why does 
why does why does LeVar Burton show up as captain of the Challenger in in a Voyager episode? You know, why does uh obviously Riker was always meant to be captain. It's gonna be kind of hard to swallow if it's been it and that's a crazy thing. It's been almost twenty years. I don't know why he's not, not already won. I'm sorry, spoilers abound, spoilers. Uh Riker's gonna become a captain. And that's that. Exactly. You've got all those first season episodes, all those first like two, three years. We're totally off topic about comics here, by the way, but everybody. But we we had to, we we had a a deep Star Trek uh, episode the other day, and we had a technical flaw, so we haven't been able to figure out a way to get it get it out there. So we can talk a little bit about Star Trek. But I don't know why Wesley needs to have a ship. Wesley is not supposed to have a ship. Wesley is supposed to transcend the need for a starship. He just appears places, a la a navigator from Dune. He teleports. He doesn't have to. He he transcends warp travel or travel through space and time as anyone can understand it or perceive it. And so what gets everybody is what him appearing at <laughs> thank uh, you. Thank you very much. an event at the beginning of Star Trek Nemesis. And that's I'm trying to be very careful about my spoilers again for you. But uh yeah, he appears there and it's like, oh wow, maybe Wesley can shed some light on what he's been doing. And no, he doesn't. And you're like, why is he there? What uniform is he wearing? What's the deal with that? And it's just Will Wheaton sitting there smiling in a dress uniform, and you're like, Oh my god, I want more. And then he did that cheesy thing with him where he was uh overacting. Um in a uh, Starship Titan piece at the uh, Star Trek tour that I saw in like 2007 or something like that, 2008 at Long Beach. Didn't go very far, but totally over the top acting. Um, I dig what you're saying. I would love for Will Wheaton yeah, to show on. up let's in the Picard Dark Multiverse, Black, and save the day night, in a major one. way. I wish they had not yeah, that would be cool. just individually <coughs> numbered each... Uh, yeah, issue as a number one. I wish they would have made a series out of it and kept it like two, three, four, five. Um, we're talking about it is it is a tired thing. Uh, we're talking that a entity that watches. I agree. That's a tired, tired thing. Guys. And this is a perfect foil for what's actually going on right now because it you couldn't just do these issues um, and have the gravitas that it has now. Unless you're doing you're the villain right now and doom and in terms of Lex Luthor succeeding in his quest to help this woman, you know, overtake everything, including anti-monitor and her sons. And we all see the, the signal in the sky. It would have been an Elseworlds tale that uh, someone got in a dollar bin as a teenager or young teenager or child for a dollar that someone bought. That someone bought because they made them and they didn't sell, but it is integral to the suspense <laughs> that they're doing right now with what the with uh, uh, you're the villain, where the villains do actually do win and the 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 good guys aren't all dead. Uh, only um, Martian uh, Manhunter really has has truly died, and uh, what's his name Star something I forget his name because I'm not too familiar with it. So sorry, guys. I'm doing my best, but even then, 
uh, it's building the fear that this multiverse is might actually happen. So they <laughs> are taking great storylines from uh, the past, like uh, Nightfall. What if? Uh, what if? Um, all all the good stuff. No, not Nightfall. They did. Um, sorry, Death of Superman. What was the mm-hmm, last one? Mm-hmm. I'm spacing. Anyway, um, what if you know Lois Lane had taken over as Superman as the Eradicator, and this particular issue is what if Blackest Night had ended with the heroes failing and Brightest Day never happened. Uh, brightest Brightest Day started because at the end of Blackest Night, um, Sinestro figured out the key, the balance. To the black rings with the white combining the spectrum and what he did was rather than harness the power all by himself and try to take all the glory which is what we would always think okay. Sinestro would actually do he he distributes the power which was one of the best parts about that because we never would think Sinestro would actually do that and all the heroes get white rings and they overtake and you're not going to be kept in this endless loop. If you get killed, you get, you all of a sudden become yourself and then you die again because of the black power and then, you know, become a black lantern again, you know, anchored to this evilness. We're coming to a place where in this issue where Sinestro tries to have all of the glory himself and he fails miserably. And it is years later. Well, actually, not years later. So that's completely wrong. Days later, and the only person who hasn't really truly been overtaken by a um, a black ring is Dove, uh, because of how she was gifted her powers of understanding of light and nature and universe and love. The rings simply are having a, a hard time uh, attaching to her. And the monkey wrench in this is that Lobo, who can regenerate. At a, at a mind's whim, you really can't kill Lobo, is the main character in this. And he is ushering uh, Dove to the, the main source of the power, the, the, the guy that hired him to to bring her in. And Sinestro comes in, He's half of his body is overtaken by the white ring, and half of his body is overtaken by the black ring. And the balance is keeping him from dying and having some semblance of, some sort of consciousness where he's still almost himself and the actual person that is going to that's been gonna pay lobo for this mission is mr miracle and they bring him to the end of the universe where the boundaries of the universe are the actual celestials the the original like in in the marvel universe we're talking celestials and they they, you know they they do what they got to do and they're still kind of around in some sort of fashion but all the original beings uh, imagine north mythology if all of the original beings uh, were the very first entities that ever happened, and their corpses formed a somewhat of a a fort, uh, a boundary, a boundary line in between realities, and they're brought to the edge where they need Dove <laughs> because of her light inside of her, and they're immediately accosted by Dark Side and. Lobo has to overtake everything, and it is it is a it is a redemptive tale where Hal Jordan is brought alive just 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 for a minute 
and Sinestro actually apologizes, which is a big goddamn deal if you don't know anything about the Green Lantern. And Lobo overtakes, and it was very similar to what's happening in Silver Surfer Black, well, what happened in Silver Surfer Black, where his idea of saving... uh, What's his planet again? Um, Zen Law? Zen Law. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm talking about Silver Surfer... Yeah, no, yeah, I'm thinking of Silver Surfer because 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 it's, it's, it's similar. Oh, man, I could Where tell in you. Silver I've Surfer never... Black, the no, 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 you're thinking his of Silver idea Surfer. spreads out and he's responsible. Yeah, for Zenlaw, for sure. Like time cycle. Um, this one that does a similar thing where different entities appear in this new multiverse. Yeah, and they are all in some way similar to Lobo, to their god that was imprinted in them. And it was a really great read because it was a failure mm-hmm. mission. But what happened afterward, none of them could have ever contemplated as a uh, as a third party reading this, not involved. It was something that got my mind thinking in terms of, like, if I do good, will this, any choice end up being bad? And, but even then, but even then, if it's bad or that's a terrible word or negative, will 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 the light eventually overtake? And that's exactly okay. what happened. That's exactly none none of these people, none of these people could have seen this coming, or, or even even if they'd been told that eventually eons Wild, later man. that their sacrifice would mean something. It's so far in the future that it probably wouldn't have mattered to them because they were so full of grief and in the state of mourning and the the fact that the sinestro would apologize to Hal, like that was that was that was ballsy that was something that like you had to make sure every word wow, every really? lyric every uh phrase in your prose was good to get to that point for you to believe it and i believed it it was great uh, would probably never happen, but only if this happened. And I, I hope you guys uh, pick up. I uh, hope they put this all in one big trade, like they do X Men Black. Uh, th- like that. That's that's one of the things that like uh, I was thinking about this. It reminded me of X Men Black. And if you guys haven't read, um, pick up the trade paperback for that. Watching the 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 villains, uh, fail or succeed, in a mm. not really alternate, but a. We're talking different ideas. So if you like these comics, pick up X-Men Black. You're going to enjoy it. About X-Men Black? Cool, cool. Man, what did you just say? It's, it's a, it's... Nobody realizing how It's a terrifying notion actions are gonna that's what we're all afraid of is that nothing we ever do is gonna matter and so that's this we have man the idea that what you're gonna Um, do is gonna mean so much yeah shows too midway okay when this is a good segue into talking about midway if you want to go there well give us a okay I know so, a lot about Midway. I, I know a lot. I don't know what anybody knows about you this. and I are very. You know, some uh, people probably do. Let me know if you know about uh, Midway. We're not 
interested huh? in the same things from okay. the Second Great War, but combined, it's 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 awesome. Uh, I I know quite a lot about Midway. Hell, uh, mm-hmm. hell, w- I <clears throat> I'm gonna say okay. I've read I read one really awesome book about CV six USS Enterprise. I read Gordon Prang's book about Midway after I read his Pearl Harbor book, and I read uh, I read a book about the Battle of Midway, which was so packed with information that it was impossible to really suss out what was going on. And I watched loads of videos about the Midway Battle on YouTube. And uh, if I have a second, I'd love to figure out what the... Uh, there's one really great kid out there who is putting wonderful videos out about uh, World War II naval battles. Just spot-on stuff. Makes it completely real. So he's got one from the Japanese perspective, and it is fantastic. I think if you get on YouTube, Midway from the Japanese perspective will tell you a lot. It's like when you take another language and you're suddenly like, oh my god, I didn't know we had prepositions. Oh, now I understand how to use adjectives. You know, it's it's crazy. Uh, so, Midway. Uh, the, <clears throat> in a nutshell, Midway is the most important naval battle in American history. Uh, the Japanese started World War... Well, they were part in World War II by... Um, they had invaded Manchuria in China. They had invaded Korea. They had invaded all kinds of places in China that was experiencing a civil war, so they were weakened. And they wanted to invade all well, of wasn't these this, wasn't European this entire imperial mission holdings a, around the Pacific uh, and create the Japanese Greater a, East uh, Asian Co-Prosperity Sphere. Destruction? So, <clears throat> like, look over here, and we, we've, we, we, we've, got, we've got good intel that we need to take care of Midway and their... Uh, no, part of it was. Part of it definitely was. As good was. as we, they think they are, and that we need... Okay, cool. Right, but uh, but definitely talk about how... Uh, you, you, you could... Oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. So, I don't want to go into this for a half an hour, but I really want to... I will get to that, that point. This is just prefacing the situation, and that's part of the thing that the movie felt like it needed to do. If you've seen the Charleston Heston movie Midway, it doesn't go into egregious detail about what was going on. This was a crazy because it it shows you Pearl Harbor leading up to the Battle of the Coral Sea, leading up to uh, Midway, and and it also goes into the the Doolittle raid, and it's like, does Absolutely this all have? Morale. Yes, it all that has is, something to do with oh, why God Midway damn. is so important. Oh God because damn, that's such a big of American deal morale. morale because yes, green of, pilots. God, you're, you're... Uh, a bunch of green pilots. So the the Japanese were invading all over the Pacific, and then they started a war with the United States because they knew that Europe wouldn't be able to come back and take care of French Indochina or Hong Kong or Australia or any of the New Guinea, any of these places. And forgive me if I say something wrong, people, of course, but. At a certain point, it's so much overload of information, I can't even keep up with it all. And uh, who controlled what in the world at the time? You know, the Philippines were gone from the U.S. 
because the Japanese took over after, you know, on, you know, as fast as they could after Pearl Harbor. And, um, so, you know, you have, you have this whole awful situation where the Japanese are like, yeah, we're an amazing imperial power and we can absolutely kick anyone's asses. We've been fighting in Manchuria for forever and we want a war against the Russians, not, you know, in 1902, we, you know, we, we, we can, we can kick some ass and we have up-to-date technology. We are very clever, very powerful. And we have a mindset and, uh, they were dangerous, but they were importing so much oil to keep up with them, to maintain a modern Navy. Now, if they had been invading these other countries and we were in the age of sail, they could have been even more dangerous because they could have only we would all only have been relying on wind power. But this was after this was also the the sunset on the day of the battleship. We all worldwide thought the battleship was the main line weapon. You were a great nation if you had battleships. And so, you know, Nazi Germany had Scharnhorst and Bismarck and then Great Britain had all kinds of wonderful battleships. And the U.S. have all these different state-class battleships, and they're named after states. You know, Arizona, Oklahoma, Iowa, etc. Missouri, for crying out loud. They all, and, you know, we all know, yeah, the Arizona sinks at Pearl Harbor. Well, okay, so what happens in this movie? It, it sets this precedent up. You know, what are we the day before... What are we, it's, it's got this great little scene between our uh, intelligence God officer character, sexy. and I'm not going to remember everybody's names, uh, played by the actor who was uh, L- the, uh, Lynch. In the he was Lynch. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is awesome. Loved him in A-Team also. Uh, yeah, I love him in everything. That guy's in awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you've got an intelligence officer who completely understands Japan, clearly, and he's got this great little moment with uh, Admiral Yamamoto. And, Yama, and, and Yamamoto says, you know, yeah, we're importing all this oil, and I don't. nobody wants a war, but they basically have this conversation. Nobody wants a war, but if you guys squeeze us, I don't know what we're going to do. I know what we're going to do, but I, I, you know, I'm not supposed to say. What can I say? So the war begins, and their ally—you know—this is where it is. The um, nobody really wants this to happen because it's going to be terrible. But everybody's gearing up for it, and uh, the U.S. is neutral. Well, Pearl Harbor happens, and you've got this whole sequence that's really quite good at Pearl Harbor. It's not the movie Pearl Harbor, but. It's pretty damned impressive. The special effects are excellent. The flying, all of the gunfire, the explosions, the it's all CG. And it's incredible. It's really, really good. You can tell that it's CG, but not so much that you that it takes you out of it. Because in the end, it's also kind of like, I don't know, there's something no, off about this. No, it's that the we're missing Heston. Like we're that. missing well, it's Heston. It's not really That's lit. The, problem. The, car- the actors are lit. The backgrounds are lit, but it's not, it's not terrible. So Pearl Harbor, and you got, huh. I don't, dude, I mean, yeah, but what it really boils down to is that his entire character is completely made up, and I didn't, it's a, it's a Midway movie 20 years after the fact, in the 60s, so what are you going to do? It's the mids of Vietnam, and you're going to stick a character in there who's having a love affair with a woman who is quantifiably the enemy, and it's like, 
How obvious is that? How 60s is that? So that's what I dig about this, is that it doesn't take any of that kind of crap into the script. It is just, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of glossiness over this, that, or the other. Or maybe the protagonist, the protagonist of the movie is pretty much uh, Richard Best. Dick Best. His, his, he, was, he was known as Dick Best. And uh, he was a lieutenant, and he was in charge of uh, his squadron. He became in charge of his squadron. Uh, and then you've got uh, Wade McCluskey also. These guys are on the Enterprise, and Enterprise is the one that, that just kept coming and coming and coming. It kept going and going. You could not defeat that ship. It'd get hit, and then it would be out of action, and it would come back. Not as hardcore as the Yorktown, for that matter. But yeah, this is the craziness. How many carriers did the U.S. have? They had the Wasp, which was early. And so it was not well tested. And it was not... It didn't have the shakedown, necessarily, that the rest of the carriers had. Um, because it was early in the production line. So they were like, yeah, this thing's a powder keg. We're going to send that to the European theater and do patrol missions in the Atlantic. Uh because it might it might take one hit and sink or blow up. We don't know. So then you have the other Essex class. You've got Yorktown and uh, Hornet and Enterprise, all of them in Pacific. Well, that's three carriers versus like a six-carrier fleet of varying power from the Japanese who had a completely different mindset. So this is where I really want to get interesting. When you think about the kind of shit that we watch... In sci-fi, where you've got like Star Trek, or you've got you've got Star Wars, and you've got all those. Di this is the comparison. I'm going to go back a little bit farther. Star Trek. You've got a ship that operates out there by itself with a crew and some shuttlecraft and some transporters, and it does everything well. This is not that. The Americans are pushing their carriers around, and of course they have like a tender, and they've got destroyers and cruisers. And maybe they've got a battleship cruising around with them. And they're like, okay, we're a carrier fleet. Well, the Japanese were like, no, we are doing the Kido Batai. We are, are going to take everything. This is the carrier fleet. There are four carriers. We're going out there. We're going to use all of our planes. And this is what's we're, what we're going to do. And it, this was a very successful strategy. Instead of having one carrier fleet that was not working in tandem with the other carriers, the Kido Batai was going out there and crushing everything because it was concentrated air power. So then we're going to switch over and look at the concept behind Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars, when you watch Star Wars, you've got A-wings, B-wings, Y-wings, X-wings. Well, what do they do? Well, the Y-wings are the bombers, and they're the ones who are supposed to destroy the Death Star. But only because Luke destroyed the Death Star with an X-wing does it become that popularly famous. It's also a cooler-looking ship. But it's supposed to be a fighter. So it's supposed to be kind of like an F-15 Strike Eagle. Whereas right, like it, an, a Y-Wing is supposed bring to be maybe something like, uh, I don't know, like a, like an A-10 Warthog. You know? or the... So that's what I'm saying is that the planes that these, that these carriers used, you have torpedo planes, you have uh, bomber planes, and you have fighter planes. The fighters just go up and try to shoot down other, other other planes to try to keep you from getting close enough to deploy your weapon. Well, then you've got torpedo planes, which are supposed to fire torpedoes and knock out ships, and those are armor-piercing weapons. The thing about it was that American torpedoes were miserable. They would fire, they would hit their target, 
and bounce off or break up. They would rarely detonate. So this was a major flaw in the American military stratagem. Well, then you have bombers. Well, they fly over to a certain point and they would dive and then they would bomb the bomb a th bomb a ship. They have five hundred or a thousand pound bombs, and that's depending on the payload that they're they're bringing in. So the thing about it is, I know, I know, uh, somebody else. So then you you think about it. This isn't like Top Gun. This isn't like Iron Eagle where there's all these bullets to shoot and all these different types of missiles for on rockets and bombs for all these different types of things you're attacking. You're flying in a plane that is a second, a seven second burst of gunfire. That's how much ammunition you can carry. You're flying in a plane that has one opportunity to hit your target and the colossal amount of statistics that go into actually being able to deploy this weapon and successfully hit is as crazy as thinking about how much it takes to get one right, appropriate but... healthy sperm and fertilize that egg. There is, it is, it is incredible. The the the. So what I'm saying is that's the setup. The movie puts this all together for us. It shows us the bomber pilots. It shows us their mission. It shows us the torpedo pilots. It shows us their mission. The Japanese attack Pearl Harbor and they're just shooting everything up. And they're bombing everything, but they're bombing the 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 main main line, the battleships. They they didn't get the carriers. Well, this was a carrier war, and nobody really understood that yet, but the carriers deliver their fighter their pilots and their weapons to the enemy. And now you're like, oh my God, we don't have these battleships anymore. Yeah, but they didn't get rid of our oil. They didn't get rid of our dry docks. They attacked all they the did ships. Was, all they did was if they had blown up these things, we would off. be a year out of action rebuilding that. And it now we just, don't. So just, you've got the carriers. Uh, uh, no longer. And, exactly. And, 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 exactly. And it, it, it set it just, a fire it, it under the U.S. Like, to it, just it, go it, like, no, you, we're not neutral any longer. Movie, you have to watch the original you know? way. You also have to watch Tor Tor Tora. You have to watch Tor Tor Tor. You absolutely have to watch all of that. You have to read all of the newspaper banners because in order to it's understand worth it. this, it's worth it. Tor 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 is the perfect. No, movie. no, no. You know what? You don't. That's what I like about this movie. You should watch okay, those gotcha. movies. Gotcha. You don't have to because the point of the strategy, the point of the story, is illustrated in this. In merely in one or two sentences from this character will say a sentence and it'll be like, this is why the war is going to be fought because you're going to squeeze us for oil. This is why we're going to win because we have a pilot that's this good because our pilots can be this good. We're going to lose because we have awoken the sleeping giant. We're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, are you afraid? Yeah, I'm afraid, but. You know, anything could happen to us. I gotta say uh, that Nick Jonas is in it, and he was great. He was awesome in his role. He was a he was a gunner on a on a uh, torpedo plane, and uh, he was a rear gunner, so he'd be shooting at the zeros who were coming in after him. And oh my god, I mean, like, I'm thinking about what these guys did in this time period with how old they were, and it, we cannot compare to that now. How could we? Are we facing anything this dire? You know, Midway, why is the Midway battle so important? Because 
this is where we sank the main line of Japanese carriers. And they were on the offensive through the entire war. Don't even think that we weren't involved until 1941. We were watching it. So you get into this whole business of it. Okay, it's 1939 and the war is going on. They're out there messing stuff up fierce. And then we come into this battle in June of 1942 and we're like, okay, we're taking a major risk setting a trap for them. But why? Because of code breaking. We had the intelligence and we baited them with a couple of little things. We don't know what the target is. Is it going to be, are they staying in the Coral Sea? Cutting off our lifeline to saving Australia? Or are we, or are they going for Midway? And uh, several people in intelligence at, uh, at uh, Hypo Base in, on Oahu were like, it's got to be Midway and this is why. So when you watch the movie, you will, it will be explained to you. And that's why I'm saying you don't have to watch all of that other stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Because if you like this movie, you should watch those movies. You should read something about this to get even more detail. The point being, like, we that's one of the lines in the movie. How can we operate on just these statistics? You can't. But you can operate on the analysis of the statistics. If we only have a quarter of the information, we can still try something. And what did they do? They baited the Japanese. They put out an, uh, a radio call that said... Um, we think that there's a problem with our fresh water tanks on Midway. And then the Japanese had kept talking about a target called AF. And then they were like, yeah, there's a water problem on AF. And they were like, Midway. Midway is the target. Get Enterprise out of the Coral Sea. Get them up there. And it's fun because they tricked Naval Command into how to get the Enterprise there because they needed three carriers and for the first time, the U.S. forces were like, we're going to go in with all of our carriers that we have at the same time. So it was Hornet, Yorktown, and Enterprise. But what's even more staggering is that Yorktown had been bombed in the flight deck at Coral Sea and was effed up. And they were like, we need like six weeks to get this, even just the deck plating fixed. And they were like, you got 72 hours and this, this better be out there. And they freaking did it. And that is American ingenuity. That is American grit to get that to happen. Just this, it's just the incredible amount of, of, there's just so many things that go into how awesome we put this together to make this happen. And then I find that, myself crying that is, watching the that Japanese lose because, because they are treated uh, so well is, in this movie. Well, you, because you everybody is treated so well in this story. In and that, schools now. Because the, you, 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 simply, you simply can't have a movie where they're using the word Japs. And, um... Oh, well, wow. even then... <laughs> yeah, they still threw one in there, if I oh, recall. That's a whole other... But I'll tell you what the craziest thing about this movie is how much financing by yeah, Chinese of companies. Gonna, of course went they're into gonna it. like when you watch the opening credits, it's like all it's like Japanese half Chinese lose. companies, half American and, and, companies you've yeah, never that, heard of, and then it's distributed by Lionsgate. Well, well, you know. They went to a good point to say in a couple of places how poorly treated the Chinese were by the by the Japanese. I gotta say, I can't. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna see this again in theaters, 
and I'm 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 definitely gonna own this. I'm gonna buy this. I'm gonna watch this. No, oh, that at sucks. That sucks. Stuff. This is a, oh, it is a moving sucked. movie that only lacks an incredible soundtrack score. Everything else, it's just great. It really does. It's a little, it's a little, a little milk toast. Uh, but in the moment when, because okay, the reason I bring up Dick Best, who who because he goes into the Battle of Midway immediately wounded, um, and he survives the whole thing. He he places a bomb on a Japanese carrier and then manages to place another bomb on another Japanese character. No one has ever done that. Been a part what of a kick ass two name. carriers. What in a kick ass day. name. And like Wade McCluskey, he oh my god. I mean just these I know. Oh, don't even forget Killer Kane. I mean, there are stories that this movie cannot contain. It's not good enough. To have a movie about Midway. I want a movie about the Enterprise crew, the commanders, the pilots, the deckhands. I want a I want a a TV series of the Enterprise at war. And that's not just because I'm a Star Trek fan. It's because the reason why the Enterprise is the Enterprise on Star Trek is because the Enterprise CV6, Carrier Vessel 6, not CVN6, not CVN65. Sorry, not CVN six. It was there was no CVN six. CVN sixty five. It's because the Enterprise survived it all, and because it's what Riker says in Star Trek: The Next Generation. God protects fools, little children, and ships named Enterprise. And God bless us all, because we could be living in a completely different world. I don't think the Japanese ever would have completely won World War II. We could have come to some kind of a an agreed horrendous negotiated peace or uh or we would have it would have dragged on for another 10 years and we would have had a peacetime a horrendous peace movement on the home front uh like we would have had in vietnam and that would have been terrible imagine what vietnam would have turned into what would the next of conflicts have been it could have been a whole different world i think that's the thing that gets me and i'm coming to a closure on this everybody the thing that gets me about reading about the Pacific Carrier War, not to not to denigrate anybody else's contribution to World War II, is uh, is that the opportunity for success and failure was higher by de- degrees that you can't understand without going into it. And what it really comes down to is the mere fact that if you weren't a top-notch pilot with absolutely had your head together, you could have flown off by one degree and never seen a place to land again. (coughs) Let alone actually deploy successfully your weapon and, and and, and win. It's just incredible. See this movie, everybody. I think it's totally worth it. It's not only is it just fun, it is a cohesive story that will teach you something, whether you get it or not, because multiple viewings, you're going to get every piece of it. And I just, I really, no, uh, just, I'm very uh, proud that since, this movie uh, has come out. Anyway, the, sorry, I don't want to go on so right crazy here, about it, but uh, carry on, folks. I'm going on the comics that I'm going to, that I'm going to suggest you don't buy <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, Star Wars number seventy four. <laughs> yeah, don't waste your time with this crap. 
event Leviathan was the Ouch! Worst I didn't even get to read that. That's the that hardest thing I've heard so in a while, to not want to read a Star Wars story. comic. Uh, Hit Girl, number 10. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. She, she's in India. And the artwork is drawn by someone that has the same oh, standards yeah. as a Bollywood producer. It's terrible. And it does not flow. Oh, God, it was terrible. It was so bad. It, it, it was so ugly to look at. Um, I don't get that one. Uh, New Mutants That's too bad. Good. Decent. It's nice seeing Cypher back in action before they kill him off inevitably again. <laughs> and, uh, Dead Eyes, number two. Uh, keep up with anything Duggan writes. Uh, definitely something I would say more single issue because they're special. But uh-huh. I definitely want to go into the last two comics uh, just to touch briefly on them. Because there's not too much to say about them. Uh, Batman number 82, City of Bane. So we end up on the quote-unquote final battle where Batman Mm -hmm. and Selina Kyle, Catwoman, uh, entice Bane into a one-on-one fight. And let's do this. No venom. Bane rips his his cords out. Let's do this together. Uh, They all take their armor off. They they go one on one. Catwoman gets thrown into a wall and her neck breaks. A Batman cheats oh, yeah. in a fight with 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 yeah with Ultra Venom or whatever they want to call it, and uh, thinking it's going to oh uh, no really his system, but he was not ready for Bane actually his will to live and will to succeed and win a fight overcomes and Batman's about to lift him up and break his back and uh his father Thomas <laughs> intercedes and puts a bullet in Bane's head supposedly killing him and putting a bullet in his boy and it was I think it took 3 minutes to read this comic it was shorter than a damn walking dead comic book man it, it was but the artwork was phenomenal we're I, I I love Bane's lucha mask. <laughs> uh, the the tubes are a little bit bigger than I'm used to. Seeing his face so uh, prevalent, definitely not used to that. Uh, how big he is, and Thomas Wayne uh, betraying his quote unquote master as it's the city of Bane. Ventriloquist is his, his little lackey, and it just read too fast. Um, it read too fast. Uh, it was great action though. Great action, great art. Gotta pull up. That's the too bad. Credits. It was just, it was just too fast. Uh, Tom King writer, Mikhail, uh, Janine artist, Jordi Belair colors, Clayton Cowles letters, David Finch and Alex Sinclair cover. It just, it just pulled off too fast, and it didn't have. If you're going to have anything. In the semblance of Nightfall, every every single one of these issues read too fast. Uh, if you read Nightfall, it's going to take you a month to read it, to actually absorb it. You, you can read each one of these issues mm-hmm. that are building up uh, <clears throat> City of Bane as uh, Year of the Villains going on. It just it, it It's kind of disjointed that they're trying to do such a big story in Batman while they're doing an even bigger story that is encapsulating the entire DC Universe. 
uh, it's hard to take any of this seriously. It's actually happening. And uh, it just reads too fast. Uh, it just reads way too fast. Like, uh, if you if you go back to read Nightfall, it's completely dense. And character development, all of it's there. But not in these ones. It's just uh, basically Catwoman and, and uh, Bruce had a long vacation before they showed up and snuck back into Gotham. And... Now they're there to kick some A, and uh, even though Bane's got a bullet in his head, I still feel it was very anticlimactic. It would just just didn't follow. It was just too fast. Uh, luckily, though, the artwork saves it. But, you know, how much can the artwork really do if the writer isn't really pulling it off? And then Amazing Spider-Man, number 33. This one was interesting because we're seeing Oh what? Oh no, this is definitely one to buy. We're, we're This we're is a not buy, a right? <laughs> Twenty nine. This is one not to buy, is that right? Thank you so much. Miguel is oh, okay, transplaced through okay. time. He's fighting his way through two different time frames. Um uh <laughs> Super Hulk and being in actual Times Square in our time. And he keeps getting just disjointed, and at the same time, what's going on is that Parker has been going to back to school, and one of his buddies has one of the few things that still works from the uh, Parker tech, and has figured out a crystal ball into the future that can analyze algorithms, and Parker comes in late and says, hey, he's late. I told you he'd be late. Uh, you and the you and the crowd open. Uh, look at your envelope or, or that I put in your chair. Oh, Parker comes in and he says this. Oh, he said just said that. And then you over there, uh, look under your seat. Read that one, and it just transcribes what's going on. Uh, Parker just finished a battle with Silver Sable. She's dying. Um, her country thinks that she's alive and well, but she's actually using a. Yeah, and they're about to go to war against Doom, and that's it's it, him destroying the <coughs> Simcaria, right? That's her country, Simcaria. Uh, clone, not clone. Uh, just the android that she's mm. piloting with her brain as she's dying. Uh, it's revealed that you know on TV that Parker destroyed it, and Spider Man, and this guy can figure out the future, and that is what is screwing with the timeline right now because the advent of this. Technology is bringing in, oh, like guys, I know that there are certain things that you might look back on in terms of that you know of but didn't read it because you thought it was maybe hokey or in some sort of way outdated or something that didn't matter. But twenty ninety nine is absolutely something that you absolutely have to pay attention to. Doom, Punisher, X Men, yeah. Spider Man, uh, all of it. it. It's all important, and they're bringing it full circle. And having a lot of good fun with it, and oh, pay absolutely. attention. Go to your comic stores before uh, these comics increase by three or four dollars each, and and uh, you know get the single issues. All of them, all the original twenty nine issues, always had these great foil covers. I remember the X Men had this great gold cover, <laughs> and, uh, the Doom cover. Oh, Doom twenty nine. Mm. But we're getting we're getting a taste of. 
Ooh, I don't remember, man. You were more schooled than that than me. Yeah. But uh, wait, was that the Warren Ellis or was that later? Jumping I think off Warren Ellis started after like issue twenty-seven or something. You got turned off any of the last stories, and you love twenty-nine. Just hop on, have some fun. And I gotta tell you, the writers and the creators, because we gotta make sure that they get their, they get their say so because they're the ones that did it and they're the best. And I applaud them. Uh, we're uh, Matthew Wilson <laughs> colorists. DC's Joe Caramanga, letter, Nick Spencer, writer, Patrick Leeson, artist. Patrick Leeson and Matthew Wilson, cover artists. Just pick it up. Have some fun. Worth your $3.99. Guys, uh, we were in a little bit of a time crunch. Uh, both of us fell asleep accidentally because of how crazy our weekend was in the middle of watching Watchmen yesterday. And uh, we'll we'll get you caught up on uh, why they're important uh, next Wednesday for uh, last episode. Oh yeah, and one on Sunday. But keep up because we just love that Rick Jenny King. Well, at least I do. <laughs> I uh, I'm not. That's the crazy thing about watching the uh, the original the Watchmen movie is just yep how I gotta say I mean you know so, on, I'm still in love with Silk Specter like, like Sally Jupiter like two childhood crushes in this both Gene both of those actresses are just oh incredible and then <laughs> there's nothing about this show that's over the top sexy or anything. There's constant bad language. There's constant like weird gore, weird gore, and then uh, unnerving little things that you'd never expect to see, especially when it comes to uh, Adrian Veidt. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I can't wait to watch this new episode. I saw I caught the last part of it tonight, and it's the heavy Tim Blake Nelson episode. Uh, so I feel like I know what was going on, but. Um, I really want to go on that ride. Really, a lot. I want to go on that ride, but uh, yeah, I didn't like. The it last was definitely one a much, tweener but episode, the, uh, but is true or lady. I true. didn't mind it. Um, I guess I just don't like characters that like is, that. That is that is that is Miss Jean Smart. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Nevertheless, uh, yeah, did you uh, notice uh, in the last Smart, episode, the one that wasn't uh, last name? night, uh, that? She is she just really pretended that, that she didn't hear these guys talking in Korean. Like she was she was so nonchalant about it. Vietnamese. It, it, it was it was way too nonchalant that she wasn't listening and that she doesn't know uh Vietnamese. Vietnamese. And, 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 Vietnamese. Oh, so your car just fell out of the sky? Well, okay, you take care of this now. Hope you got insurance. Uh that was that was just more foreplay. Like she knows what's going on. Like that woman is too hard hidden. Way too hard hitting. Uh, there's no way yeah. she didn't know what they were saying. But we'll we'll catch up uh, next Wednesday, uh, guys. This has been an amazing episode and good little points. Yeah, yeah there's better things than just... no doubt. <clears throat> it's nice to have my wits about me brother. for once. I love you. <laughs> we'll kick some ass. Yeah, yeah, we we. <laughs> it's better things than being that tired. <laughs> yeah, this is a good week for me to be able to to be able to look at content and stuff like that. 
for uh, yeah. go, Take go, us home, go brother. to work early. This transmission, as as don't roll into this transmission serious, is ending. Serious, like, nighttime work. Oh, it can just be rough. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, things moving what they are. Yeah. Th- <laughs> oh. oh it's no radio head. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a, a, an apropos, like, radio head. I don't bring any Nine Inch Nails into this. I can't come up with one. <laughs> hey, nevertheless, nevertheless, I just feel like they've got a good, a good lot night. of nice, like, see you later and goodbye songs. All right, I'm going to do one for, uh, from, from one, so long and good night, okay? <laughs>